Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back, Tom Hartman here with you. You know, just thinking about the things that I'd like to know, right? I told you yesterday about how uh, Betsy DeVos has been ordered by a judge to sit for a three-hour deposition about how she made the decision to deny 150,000 Americans who had taken out federally uh, guaranteed student loans to pay for what they thought were actual universities, but turned out to be Trump University and other scam organizations. And they basically all got ripped off. And so they were simply saying, you know, please forgive this loan because there was no there was no education there. You gave the money to the college, the so-called college, the so-called college went bankrupt. Well, that is happening. And I'm going to be fascinated to hear what Betsy DeVos has to say about that. I would like to see William Barr answering questions about any number of things, including his decision to whitewash the Mueller report and to ring fence Robert Mueller in the first place, to tell Robert Mueller that he could not look into Trump's associations with foreign oligarchs, particularly Russian oligarchs. You know, why did that happen? How did that happen? But the one that I'm most curious about is the one that led to Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh, you know, Mr. Beerbong, is on the Supreme Court because Anthony Kennedy stepped down and Kennedy is still fine. You know, he's running around doing his thing, having a nice retirement. He's he's still perfectly capable of being on the Supreme Court. And there's every indication, rather there was every indication, that he really enjoyed being on the Supreme Court. But his son was Trump's banker with Deutsche Bank. His son engineered hundreds of millions of dollars, perhaps as much as a billion dollars worth of loans from Deutsche Bank to, to Trump. His son helped engineer, I believe it was a $300 million loan. It might have been more than that, but as I recall, it was $300 million loan that Trump refused to pay back and sued the bank and said, you never should have loaned this money to me in the first place. And the bank said, okay, okay, you don't have to pay us back. His son, Justin Kennedy, used to hang out with Donald Trump in the skyboxes in the stadiums around New York for the games. His son used to hang out with Donald Trump at celebrity events. His son, Justin Kennedy, was in tight with Donald Trump 
and then Donald Trump becomes president, and then Donald Trump sees Anthony Kennedy at a public event and says to him, you know, the microphones caught him saying something to him about his son. And then a couple of weeks later, Anthony Kennedy, Justice Kennedy, decides that he's going to withdraw himself from the U.S. Supreme Court. Kennedy, who supported abortion rights, is pulling himself off the Supreme Court to be replaced by Mr. Rapist Beerbong guy. That's the one I want to hear. I would like to hear Justin Kennedy deposed, or Anthony Kennedy, or in his father. Did Trump, did Trump threaten your life? Did he threaten to put his minions on you? Did he threaten to tweet about you in a way that would cause you to need, like Anthony Fauci, that you would need to hire full-time security to protect your own children and grandchildren? Did he threaten to reveal something about his dealings with Deutsche Bank that might reflect poorly on Kennedy's son? I mean, keep in mind, Kennedy's still running around loose. He's having a good old time on both of them, you know, father and son. But father, who was a Supreme Court justice, he's doing good. Give it speeches. Having a fine old time. Why did he leave the Supreme Court? There are a lot of questions that I have about the Trump administration. How did we end up with a coal lobbyist running the EPA, for example? <laughs> what kind of damage did that do? Or, you know, an oil lobbyist running our Interior Department? Or, you know, I, it's just... I, once I get started going down that road, there's a long, <laughs> that's a long road to go down. But the answers to most of those are probably fairly self-evident. It was just good old-fashioned corruption. They were the people who either they themselves or their industries made the largest donations to Donald Trump's PAC that Donald Trump is now cycling into his own pocket. Keep in mind, we still don't know where $100 bucks went from his inauguration. Maybe it wasn't $100 million, but millions of dollars. See, seems to have been embezzled out of that, and it looks like Ivanka Trump might have been up to her eyeballs in it. And then what's this deal with Donald Trump paying Ivanka hundreds of thousands, I think it was $700,000 as a consulting fee? Was that so that he could get money to his daughter without having to give it to his sons? Or was it just to avoid taxes? Or to avoid a record? I mean, you know, what's the deal here? I have a feeling we're going to learn a lot of these things. But I also have a feeling that the thing about Anthony Kennedy and and Justin Kennedy, we're never going to learn about. Unless it comes out in these lawsuits and and criminal investigations that have been initiated by New York Attorney General Letitia James and by Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance. And, you know, and my hope is, and I doubt either of them are listening, but perhaps somebody in one of their offices are. The show has a pretty good throw. My hope is that somebody will ask the question, what was Justin Kennedy doing at Deutsche Bank with Donald Trump? And was it something that gave Donald Trump blackmail leverage over Justin Kennedy's father, 
who conveniently retired from the Supreme Court just in time for Justice Beerbong to come in. I mean, there's something going on there, I believe. Now, this is purely, yeah, I get it, you know, I, I'll just tell you right up front, this is my conspiracy theory. I have no evidence to support this other than circumstantial, other than, boy, does this look sleazy or skeezy or something. But I want to know what's going on. There's, there's all these Republican lies that were just constantly bathed in. The latest one is that uh, unemployment claims, the weekly unemployment claims, they fell to 444,000 this week. They just released the numbers. And so Republican governors are saying, you know, people aren't desperate enough for a job. We're going to cut off federal unemployment benefits. There have been three studies now showing that there are eight million fewer jobs in the economy. There's all these companies that just went out of business. Half the restaurants in America closed and are not coming back. All three studies said 300 bucks a week is not going to keep somebody out of the job market. It's a myth. It's a lie. One by Yale economist even found at $600 a week, you know, what we were paying in the height of the pandemic, what we were giving people. There was, quote, no evidence that high unemployment insurance replacement rates drove job losses or slowed rehiring. The University of Massachusetts. No, it did not provide evidence supporting the claim that the federal pandemic unemployment compensation has held back a market recovery. It's a party that can't exist without lies and sleaziness. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And it is so unfortunate. And I guess the good news is I think America is starting to wake up. Let's hope it speeds up. Spread the word. Let me start out with this, my rant from thehartmanreport.com, blowing up the billionaire's con that's shattering America. I mean, this is, we are trying to put this country back together after being ripped off by Donald Trump, who, by the way, front page of the New York Times today, he's charging the Secret Service 400 bucks a night for rooms in, at Mar-a-Lago uh, because they're required to protect the president. So he's made like 40 grand on uh, the Secret Service since he left office. He, he just, you know, he continues to rip us off. So anyhow, as we're t- struggling to recover from Trump's ripoffs, uh, his, you know, damaging our government and his killing a half a million of us unnecessarily. You know, the death toll in Taiwan for the entire pandemic as of this moment, 12, 12 people. Why? Because they all wore masks and because they shut down the economy initially and gave all the businesses enough money to keep paying their employees at about 80% of the regular wages so that, you know, everything held together. Anyhow, we're recovering from Trump. We're getting a clearer picture of the sedition. I used the word treason yesterday, and a fellow called and said, you got to be careful about using that word treason. And I said, well, okay, I'll call them traitors. It was among Republicans in Congress around January 6th. And as we're trying to pass legislation right now, there's, you know, Mitch McConnell has essentially announced that he's going to filibuster this January 6th commission that the Democrats and Republicans are trying to put together. As you know, I'm not a fan of commissions. I'm not a fan of this commission, frankly. I think that there should be congressional investigations like like the uh, 10 different Benghazi investigations. I think there should be at least two 
one in the House and one in the Senate. And I think that a special prosecutor should be appointed. But, you know, if the commission gets appointed, fine. No problem. I'm okay with that. But uh, Mitch McConnell says he's going to filibuster it. And, uh, you know, we'll see. So uh, whatever you want to talk about, we can get into. Back to my rant. We've got dark money. We got foreign oligarchs. We got right wing media groups, some of them funded by foreign oligarchs, who are hard at work trying to tear this nation apart, and they're having considerable success. Back in 1958, the Pew Organization the, uh, started doing annual, uh, well, actually, I'm not sure if they're annual or every two or three years, because the last one I've seen is from two years ago. So maybe it's a couple of years. But anyhow, they started doing these polls of the American people saying, Do you trust the government? Do you trust your government? And throughout the 50s and throughout the 60s, it was 75% of Americans who said, yes, I trust my government to do what's right. And then in 1971 comes the Powell memo where Lewis Powell says to a group of billionaires, he was this tobacco lawyer, and in fact, Nixon put him on the Supreme Court a year after he wrote his memo. He wrote the memo in 71, and Nixon put him on the court in 72. Lewis Powell writes that, you know, basically, hey, us billionaires and us toadies for billionaires have to take over the political process. And the way to do that is to convince Americans that government is evil. And therefore, you can justify cutting taxes because, hey, government shouldn't have that money. They're evil. And therefore, you can justify deregulation and making, making, uh, for example, fossil fuel billionaires richer by polluting the air because, After all, government is evil. You don't want them regulating the quality of the air, do you? We can justify making the coal barons richer as they dump their their coal tailings into the rivers and poison, you know, downstream communities with with arsenic and radioactive elements and lead and mercury and other things that come from coal tailing. Because, hey, government is evil and they shouldn't be regulating the quality of our water. We can, we, you know, I, I could go on and on. You, you know the rants. But anyhow, this is, this, is what, this is what Lewis Powell laid out. And a bunch of billionaires stepped up and said, okay, cool, we'll do it. And they created the Heritage Foundation, and they created the Cato Institute, and they created the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and they created uh, all these organizations, the Federalist Society, you know, all of these organizations, so that... You know, amplifying this message that Ronald Reagan officially announced. I mean, this is the official launch of the Powell memo was January 20th, 1981, when Ronald Reagan was sworn in and gave his first inaugural address. And what did he say? He said, government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. You get this? And so here we are now, 40 years later, and Pew did a study, and this was in 2019, and they said, do you trust the government? Now, keep in mind, it was 75% of Americans back in the 60s and 70s who said, yeah, we trust the government, and the 50s. Now it's 17%. They have had considerable success. And now it's like, you know, the tyranny of wearing masks. I mean, this is not an accident. It's the, it's the result of a five-decade-long campaign, the last four decades being official and out in the open, Put on by these, you know, billionaire groups and the corporations that made them rich. And it's destroying our country. It is setting us up. And now to amplify this, 
down in Arizona. And now Republicans want to take this nationwide. They want to do it in Georgia and Texas next. In Arizona, you've got a bunch of people coming in saying, you can't even trust the vote. You can't trust the vote. And therefore, you can't trust democracy. And therefore, you should just, you know, go along with, it, with whatever the Republicans who control the state legislature say. So if the Republicans say, you know, Maricopa County's got a lot of black and brown people, I think we'll only count half the ballots this year. Because, you know, there's some precincts that are kind of sketchy. They're awful dark, you know. I mean, that's what it boils down to. They're auditing the only really diverse county in the state. No mistake there. You'll recall it was Trump who was saying, oh, yeah, you know, all the fraud is happening in Milwaukee, the blackest city in Wisconsin. In Detroit, the blackest city in Michigan. Well, maybe Flint. You know, I'm sure he's have a bug and burr under his tail about Flint, too, if it had enough people in it. And Pittsburgh, another majority black city. This is so obvious. Don't trust democracy when democracy allows black and brown people to vote. I mean, that's what it's come to. And we've got this this, this entire effort now to stop any kind of forward motion in this country to stop Joe Biden and not to hold any Republicans accountable for sedition. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Anyhow, that's my rant. You can read the whole thing over at HartmanReport.com. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service... The more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Pauline in Los Angeles. Hey, Pauline, what's on your mind today? The Congresswoman Stacy Plaskett. I think she was on uh, talking on MSNBC, mm-hmm. and she used this phrase, you know, talking about, you know, how the Republicans are just pretty much just denying or downplaying or just acting like uh, nothing happened with the insurrection. Right. And so, in response to that, she used this phrase. 
that we are in a cold civil war. Yes. And I agree. I just thought that just encapsulates it completely because I've been describing what we're in when I try to describe like that this is more than just regular political bantering. Our culture, our nation, we are really in an active cold civil war. And when you look at the Cold War that we had with the Soviet Union, I think everybody understood that eventually that war would end, and it would end one of two ways. It would either turn into a hot war, a shooting war, or one country or the other would say, okay, I give. And ultimately, that was the Soviet Union. They abandoned what they called communism, which raises the same question. If this is a cold civil war, where does it go? And, exactly. And I am watching the Republicans become more and more of a minority party every day. On the other hand, I'm also watching billionaires funding things like, you know, religious stations and Spanish language stations. And I mean, we've seen the Hispanic vote for Republicans in the last five years double. And it's the result of they've got now right wing Rush Limbaugh wannabes who are speaking Spanish on these radio stations and they're putting up these radio stations all over the country and Hispanics are particularly vulnerable to this because they're so deeply into Catholicism and the principal sales pitch to them is abortion and anti-homosexuality and macho culture and this is what the Republican Party is all about and ignore all that other stuff and you know it's like that's kind of on the one hand we're watching the Republican you know the number of people who identify as Republicans steadily shrink on the other hand we're watching the Republican Party actually increasing their share of votes with some of these minority groups that, that the Republican Party actively works against, generally speaking. And mm-hmm. Thomas Frank wrote that book, What's the Matter with Kansas, back you know five or five years ago or so, maybe a little longer. The next book is going to be, you know, what's the matter with New Mexico or so, you know, so, some fill in a phrase that, you know, replace Kansas with Hispanic Americans. You know, what's the matter with Jose, I guess. Because, you're, again, they're successfully reaching out to a group of people and saying, vote against your own best interests. And it's just mind-boggling. Pauline, i got to move along. Yeah. You wanted to make a final point? You're right. And this is not just regular politics. And they're going, they're going for it, the gusto. Yeah. This is like on. They There's absolutely no are. turning back. They're absolutely yeah, are. We're in they a cold civil war. Yeah. I love that Thanks. phrase, Pauline. Thank you for sharing that with me. I may use it and make a great op-ed. Pauline, thank you. Sharon in San Marcos, California. Hey, Sharon, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. In the same vein of what we you kind of been covering all morning, did you read the Mother Jones article a few days ago uh, with showing the leaked video with Jessica Anderson from the Heritage Action for American? Yes, uh, and I watched the video where they're like, you know, yeah, and we kind of snuck in here, and yeah, go ahead, tell the story. Yeah, she's she's talking to, she's bragging to their donors big money donors, about how the Heritage Foundation actually writes these voter suppression laws. They gave them to all of the Republican governors. They called the Republican governors. The Heritage Foundation people called the Republican governors and said, here's the legislation. You need to pass this now. And she's bragging about that. You know, and I think what you're talking about when you said there's a global conservative movement and everything. I think it's very well organized. I mean, these people know what they're doing. They're really, really good at it. They're organized. They control the purse strings for these Republican politicians who jump at their command. I mean, Heritage says jump in them. Republicans say that's, 
you know, how high. Exactly. And that's why that's why they can, uh, like McCarthy or McCon- Moscow Mitch, can say something one day and completely change it the next day and just go on because Heritage has their back. Yep. They know that as long as they don't repeat their blunder, you know, like McCarthy uh, a week after the January 6th, he was talking about how it's Trump's fault. And now, you, you know, Trump is his saint, you know, mm-hmm. and it's OK. It's OK, because all he has to do is ignore what he said, just move on, because Heritage makes sure that the media covers the right stuff, not the wrong stuff, right. in, in their view. The truth no longer matters. And, and by the way, let's be very yeah. clear about this, Sharon. This is not just American billionaire oligarchs. This is an international cabal, essentially. And you yeah. know, people say, oh, you know, Russian oligarchs are doing this, or uh, Saudi oligarchs are doing this, or, uh, you know, et cetera. Yes, but but they're not. It's not like some separate effort just for the interests of Russia or just for the interests of Saudi Arabia. They have a common interest in oligarchy all across the world. It's like trying to reinvent the British Empire, which was oligarchy. And I think, I think they're working together. I think you know, at the top, those guys they get together. They say, "This is our strategy. This is what we know works, and this is what we need to make our." minions do and by minions i'm saying the, the you know they're politicians they're yeah. so-called leaders and the media and the amazing thing about this is that one of the pieces of their sales pitch or the sales pitch that is used by their stooges people like victor orban in hungary i mean one of the major things that he yeah. used to get to gain power and to hold power is trashing george soros and george soros yeah. is, of course is a, a progressive billionaire who you know throws a few hundred million bucks into politics every year, but he's, he's no big player in the Democratic Party or in the political scene. In, yeah, in he's in, bigger you know. in Europe. Yeah, actually, yeah, he lives in France in and and he's from Hungary, actually. Which is yeah. you know, yeah, in fact, exactly. he paid for Viktor Orban to go to college, gave him a scholarship. Oh my God! Honest to God, oh. uh, you know, it's oh. in my book on oligarchy. Yeah, I've got a whole chapter about Viktor Orban. But Viktor Orban is making this pitch that there is this group of Jewish billionaires who are who secretly control the world and they're pulling the strings uh, and they're (laughs) provoking the Palestinians and they're provoking black people in the United States and they're provoking the refugees Uh. who are protesting the conditions in Hungary and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When, in fact... What he's describing, while it pretty much does not exist on the left, and I can tell you I've been in those Democracy Alliance yeah. meetings. I, you know, I'm on the board of an organization that used to be a member. In fact, I sat next to George. Actually, I sat next to the guy who is George Soros's guy, and then George Soros sat next to him. So I sat two, two chairs away from him in one of these meetings. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's like there is no giant conspiracy going on on the left. I mean, they're sitting around maybe figuring have, out, hey, you know, let, let's throw some money to, uh, you know, some group is doing good research or something. You know, let's help out Think Progress. But, Tom, but it's nothing like what to, we're though. seeing on the right. Oh, we're, we're going to have to, but, you know, who's, where, see, here's the problem, Sharon. The right-wing billionaires and these corporations, this is all about making corporations more profitable and helping billionaires hide their right. money. And yeah, the majority of people who have reached that status in life 
are not interested in supporting Social Security or good infrastructure in the United States or health care for American citizens. They're not interested in supporting yeah. that for Europeans. They have been successful over the last 30, 40 years since, since Maggie Thatcher started this process in the U.K. in 1978 in getting European country after European country after European country to actually cut back on their social safety nets, to impose what austerity. What do we do? Well, we, I, we do, I think Tom? we just have to keep talking about it. We need to keep pointing it out. You know, I could have taken Social Security and said, I'm retiring. No, you know, we've got to fight. We've got to speak up. We've got to speak out. Oh. All of us. We've got to do everything we can. And we have one political party now that's functional, a Democratic Party. And people of goodwill need to get inside it and empower this and the politicians and, and the media and support media that is talking about these actual issues. Like however you're hearing this program, support them. Sharon, thank you for your call. I got to run. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Tom Hartman here with you. Let me give you just my clip of the day. I think we should we should just start playing some inspirational history, right? This is uh, John Kennedy in 1960 speaking to the uh, Liberal Party of New York in New York City. He was running for president. Here he is. What do our opponents mean when they apply to us the label liberal? If by liberal they mean, as they want people to believe, Someone who is soft in his policies abroad, who is against local government, and who is unconcerned with the taxpayer's dollar, then the record of this party and its members demonstrate that we are not that kind of liberal. But if by a liberal they mean someone who looks ahead and not behind, someone who welcomes new ideas without rigid reactions, someone who cares about the welfare of the people, their health, their housing, their schools, their jobs, their civil rights, and their civil liberties. Someone who believes that we can break through the stalemate and suspicions that grip us in our policies abroad. If that is what they mean by a liberal, then I'm proud to say that I'm a liberal. There you go. And, you know, and where do they go after that? Let's start demonizing the word liberal. Let's go after the liberal. Oh, my God. Okay, your moment of history there. Nick in Huntington, West Virginia. Hey, Nick, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I'd like to read something to you today that my union just sent me. Okay. The 2021 West Virginia legislation session was filled with bills that would attack workers' rights, especially public workers, from not paying during emergency situations, representation during grievances, and bills directly to us. This is my union talking. Mm -hmm. So what they've done is they made it, the legislation just passed the bill saying that they could not deduct my union dues from my paycheck. Right. So now I have to either write a check, send them a money order, or get it out of my debit card. Right. It's their way of busting up another union. That's right. To ruin our rights and all that. And if they can do it with the public, when is some big company going to file a lawsuit and get this in court? Yep. Nick, yeah. uh, this, West Virginia is not unique in this. This has been done in a number of states, and it's a very successful way to destroy public unions. It's a very successful way to destroy any kind of union. There's a reason why paycheck deductions work. It's the, there's a reason why the federal government, the state governments, and city governments require that the taxes that you pay be taken out of your paycheck before you get the money. 
because, you know, people do not want to go through the trouble and hassle of writing a check, even if they support the idea. They don't want to do it. And when they don't support it, it makes it a whole hell of a lot easier to do it. So, well, you know, it's I'm a strict, I'm, excuse me, but I'm a strict union man, because if we don't start getting men, they're, they're just going to keep willing away like they've done since Ronald Reagan broke up the air traffic controllers union. You bet. And that was the that was the start of it all. Yep. And, uh, absolutely you know, was. And, uh, and the Biden administration is trying to get some workers rights if if. If these people would wake up, but they're so filled with white imperialism and racism, they can't see that it's it ain't a poor people. Here in West Virginia, we're outnumbered white to black, and and then the people don't seem to see that it's it's a war against poor, not a war against uh, a black or Hispanic. It's a war against all of us, and we need to stick together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a war against all of us who are not uh, you know multimillionaires or billionaires. I'm with you. Nick, thank you for the call. Kathy in Duluth, Minnesota. Hey, Kathy, what's on your mind today? Concerned about this new assault on abortion rights, Roe v. Wade, in this conservative Supreme Court. You know, it's, again, old white men trying to control women's lives. Yeah, now there's a white woman there, too. And, and uh, Yeah, right, yeah. And it, in the conversation and articles I read, there's just nothing mentioned about men's responsibility men's role. Mm-hmm. So what was the point that you wanted to make? Oh, okay. Well, okay. Suppose it's overturned. There, you know, no right to abortion. We need men to take responsibility for the unborn children. So let them try to mull this over. They need to register their DNA at some point in their lives so that, you know, their offspring are taken care of. Yeah. Well, and also if we're going to declare that a, uh, what is it called, a cytoblast, whatever, it is, you know, the, right. the, this little cluster of cells that, you know, is the first few weeks of pregnancy. If we're going to declare that that's a human being, then why don't we also declare that at that point, men have to start paying child support? Absolutely. Why don't we also declare that at that point, that thing, that little cluster of cells is a U.S. citizen, and therefore, if it's inside <laughs> a person who's not a U.S. citizen, they cannot be deported. Why don't we declare that if that little blast of cells, that little bunch of cells is a person, that the woman carrying it can take out a life insurance policy on it. (laughs) And if she happens to be, if this happens to be one of those one in four pregnancies that ends in miscarriage, she gets a million dollars from the life insurance company. I mean, you know, we can we can go on and on. This is about as stupid as declaring that corporations are persons, but they've legally done that. And, you know, then this kind of stuff is coming along next. And I, I think they're going to do it. And I think they're going to take two bites out of the apple, frankly. I think that the first yeah. ruling that you're going to see, which, you know, they're going to take up the case in October. We're going to hear the ruling next spring, probably late spring, probably April, you know, March, April, May, maybe even a little later. And my guess is that the first thing they're going to do is say, OK, we're going to essentially go along with Mississippi and say that viability is no longer the barrier, you know. And the excuse they're going to use, because the, the way, basically the way the law is now with Roe v. Wade, and actually it wasn't Roe v. Wade that established this. It was, um, oh, I'm forgetting the case, but it was another case a year or two later that, that established the three different trimesters yeah, of pregnancy. And what they're going to say is, okay, you know, under this decision, under this previous decision, Planned Parenthood v. Casey was the decision. You know, we identified three full months as the first trimester during which anybody can get an abortion. Well, now we've got technology that allows, 
you know, younger, mm-hmm. you know, preemies to survive. And so we're going to shift the goalposts essentially with regard to viability. That would be the first and gentlest step that they could take. My guess is they're actually going to go a little beyond that. And they're going to say, you know, it's not about viability anymore at all. It's about life. It's about when, you know, something is to be considered human life. And this is the whole heartbeat thing. (laughs) You know, the brain hasn't developed yet, (laughs) but there's this little piece of tissue in there that's going womp, 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 and essentially spasming, actually. You know, and then I think a year later, they're going to they're just going to pull all the restrictions out. But we'll see. Kathy, I'm sorry, I got to run. But uh, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's all about men controlling women. Mick in Seattle. Hey, Mick, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. What's on my mind today is peace because it doesn't get a lot of airtime anymore. Yeah. And um, I, uh, we've uh, made uh, attempts at it in the past in our history with the League of Nations, peace treaties, and uh, the like. Yeah, and, the and uh, yes, and uh, that's where I'm going with this. I uh, my point is to ask you the question: What is your view on world government? And uh, how, if we don't get it now, when? Because uh, right now we have seen things that have brought us together in one party, which is the world community, that's uh, hopefully going to deal with global warming, hopefully going to deal with conflict resolution, hopefully going to deal with vaccines and everyone getting them equitably and equally. Hopefully we get somebody that actually will speak up for the people of the world, not governments and their despotic rulers we need people who really have ideas about change and i want to hear your views about that i get what you're saying mick and i am all in favor of people who want to see change and you know progressive activity i am opposed to world government and here's why I actually thought, you know, world government would be a great idea. You know, we need to empower the U.N. Much of my life, or at least in my, you know, through my teens and 20s, I was convinced that this was the way to go. And then in 1988, I moved to Germany for a year. Louise and I sold a business, or 87 actually, we sold a business and we retired and we lived there for a year. And I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Scherer. I got to know several Nazis, actual still Nazis, others who were old Nazis, ex-Nazis, others who were victims of the Nazis. Two of my closest friends when I lived in Germany had been members of the Hitler Youth and had repudiated it. One had repudiated it, the other was still kind of on the fence. Um, it, It was a shocking experience for me. But the most shocking thing that I learned when I really started digging into this was that what Hitler was telling the German people he was going to do what Germany was destined to do, and he was building a, a Vatican's kind of structure in a little city called Wevelsburg in, in northwest Germany uh, to be the center of government for the world. The goal of the Third Reich was to usher in a thousand years of peace worldwide, and that worldwide government would be controlled by Adolf Hitler. And he damn near got there. I mean, you know, he, in six, seven years, took almost all of Europe. He damn near got Russia. You know, if he had invaded Russia a year later, this might be a very different world right now. And so, you know, when people talk about one entity being in charge, they had these debates during the Constitutional Convention, and James Madison did a great job of recording them. And what they decided was you want to break power into as many pieces as possible. You want to have the federal government broken into several pieces, and then you want to have 
the states each have their own independent power, and then within the states, you want to have them broken into pieces, all the way down to the local ward. And the more you can decentralize power, the less likely you are to see the rise of somebody like King George III, which is what they were opposed to. Am I making sense, Mick? Sense because you've left out greed, corruption, and the fact that Mondragon and other worker cooperatives work. Oh, and they I do, but the Mondragon is not trying to run the world. It's an, exa- that's that's right. an economic that's example. Right. Mick, i got to run. Thank you for the call. We'll be right back. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Joe in Cupertino, California. Hey, Joe, thank you for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Oh, Tom, it's a wonderful day today. Uh, Fifteen states and counting. I wanted to talk about the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. And I was just reading your newsletter there yesterday. And Kafafa? Kafaba? Anyway, the Heritage Foundation is on C-SPAN Wednesday with our friend from Oklahoma, Mr. Inhofe. It's kind of weird because wasn't that the anniversary of the Black Wall Street fire? Anyway, he and mm-hmm. a gentleman by the name of Van. Uh, yeah. So today is. this gentleman... This gentleman that is in charge of the uh, Heritage Foundations, Hans von Spudsky, and uh, Mr. Enhoff had a sit down. They were talking, and he's Jen Zinhoff has been in term for 18 terms. I can't imagine that. And anyway, they're talking about they're a little bit scared that Nevada, who I guess approved in the legislature the national right to vote and the uh, popular vote, but Arizona's up. Oklahoma's up, Maine's up, Virginia's up. This could all be something that we I'm pretty sure Virginia passed for. it, signed it. I think that's the the, now, the only one that has so far this year. Now, I'm listening to Mr. Enhoff's argument, and he's just pretty smart for 18-term constitutionals. But, you know, in California, I have 57 counties. I got, like, the second largest population, if not the first largest population in the state, but I only have 57 counties. And I wonder how many counties are in Texas. But if the... If we are able to go to a popular vote, Mr. Inhofe argues that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton by counties. That Hillary only took 400-something counties, but Trump won 2,000 counties. So, of course, even though she won the popular vote, he, by virtue of having more county delegates, wins. And and that's kind of a lame argument. I I think you could turn that same argument around and use it against them as they're trying to use it to keep the Electoral College in play. Um, I'm sure we could split California state into three states, but if I just made like 157 counties, would that then make the Electoral College move? 
I'm not sure if that's better governance, as you were talking about yeah. earlier. Yeah. But the problem, the problem, Joe, is that a county is defined by physical geography rather than population. And that's what uh, Inhofe and his buddy, they've been they've been pitching this thing for years. You know, uh, yeah, sure. National popular vote. Let's just let's, you know, uh, power should go to the lowest level possible. Let's just count the counties. And and uh, you've got, uh, you know, some counties that have populations of literally millions like Wayne County, Michigan, you know, Detroit, um, Maricopa yeah, County, Arizona. There's there's more people in Arizona, in Maricopa County, I think, than in, than in the rest of Arizona. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's some mind boggling number of people. So. You know, they're suge- but but there's all kinds of counties that have you know ten thousand, fifty thousand, you know, a hundred thousand people in them because they're rural counties and they tend to be very, very red because the Republican Party made this decision back in the 1970s that they were going to focus all their efforts and their limited money at that point in time on low population areas where media was cheap and they could buy radio and television stations and they could get their message out. And they could basically flip those uh, what used to be blue states and purple states into red states. And they were they've been very, very successful in that effort over the last 40, 50 years. And so now that they've got all these rural counties on their side, they're saying, let's count it by counties. It's a crazy idea, Jim, because, as I said, counties are defined by geography and not by population. And votes should have to do with people, not land. Exactly. So I think that's what Arizona could be taken back. I think it could be easily suggested Nevada could be taken back on the West Coast. I don't know what you're going to do about the middle states, but you've suggested Virginia's already a given. But we only need 15, and we have quite a bit. Well, it depends on the size of the state. What what they need are uh, uh, enough states to equal, what, about 60 or 70 electoral college votes, as I recall? It's been a while Uh, since I've been over on their website. Right. And, and you're the one that brought this to my attention because it is doable if we could just get the word out that if we could just get That's those right. two or three states that are in play, they're purple, to go to look at this. And their argument at the Heritage Foundation is that you can't withdraw from the compact before the election or after the election. If you agree to the compact, you have to stay in the compact until the presidential election has been done. And I think that's kind of a scary thought for some people based on the candidates that have been, you know, brought Well, no, that's the whole the point of the compact. I mean, you know, let the chips fall where they may. That's, that's a, a, a fundamental precept of democracy. If the majority of the people vote for, you know, Joe Blow, Joe Blow wins. It should be okay, that so way. Then. But, you know, right now with the Electoral College, you know, we've had Democrats win seven out of the last eight presidential races on the popular level. And yet, you know, you, you've had Republicans... Uh, I think three of those times take take the White House. Well, if I'm not mistaken, San Francisco is the only place that has ranked choice voting. That for sure. Now we'd like to see. That only, the no, there's level. over 300. There's over 300 uh, towns or counties or both in the United States that have ranked choice voting. San Francisco is the largest. Right. And so the electoral college, ranked choice voting, uh, eliminating the electoral college, and going to a popular vote is probably something that's going to save us in 2024. It would, if we can make it happen. My understanding is that right now, the states that we need to do away with the Electoral College through the Interstate Compact are mostly, you know, Republicans in their legislatures. And so it's going to be a real tough slog, but people need to know about it. Joe, thank you. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. You can uh, track this down just by plugging National Popular Vote into a search engine, although you probably get a bunch of right-wing sites. I think it's nationalpopularvote.com, but I may be wrong. 
Ed in Chicago. Hey, Ed, what's on your mind today? wanted to ask you about it is if you would perform an exorcism on Dick Durbin, because I think the ghost of Neville Chamberlain has uh, taken over his body. Oh, no, what uh, happened? Yesterday, yesterday morning, Joe, and I watched this twice to make sure I got it right. He was asked if the Democrats in the Senate would form their own commission for January 6th. And his response was, it would be a major undertaking to the exclusion of all other things we need to do to get the country moving. And I, my jaw literally dropped when he said that, because that, that's just like saying we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Well, hang on reinforce- just a second, Ed. There's a difference between a commission and a subcommittee or a committee that is established. Right. Sometimes they're called select committees, you know, that is established for a specific purpose. Right. Was, but the, the general impression, the impression he was leaving was it was if it wasn't going to be a, a full Senate thing, bipartisan, that they, they were just going to drop it was the impression he left from that. Uh, I hope well, your interpretation um, of his impression is wrong, Ed, because what I'm hearing right. is that... I, I, well, go ahead. I was going to say, you can find it on YouTube easily. Maybe well, I'm I, wrong, but it, yeah. it just was not what I expected to hear from the number two in the Senate. Yeah. I expected him to come out guns blazing, and instead there was this milquetoast response that well, was... Dick Durbin like has never pretended to be Bernie Sanders. I mean, you know, well, or, or Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Or right, even he's Sharon been my Brown. senator. <laughs> he's, but, he's a, but he's generally a good guy. And what I'm hearing, maybe this is wrong, but what I'm hearing is that if they, if if Mitch McConnell successfully filibusters this commission, that Chuck Schumer in the Senate and Nancy Pelosi in the House are going to name special investigative committees to look into January 6th and the circumstances surrounding them, and that may well be. The Republicans' worst nightmare. It may be a hell of a lot worse for them well, that's than what the I, January sixth commission. My hope is. Yeah, that's what my hope is. And I too. agree. Dick Durbin is generally. I, I mean, I like him. He's, yeah, he's uh, he's a decent you know, man. Usually, yeah, he's center left, more center than left, but he, he's he's pretty good on all the issues. But I, when you have time, you can. It's on YouTube. You can see it. It was yeah, from yesterday's I'm, show. I'm, I'm, I'm and not. I, I was just the impression I got. It, it was the last thing I expected to hear out of Dick Durbin. It it was just so, like I said, it reminded me of Neville Chamberlain. Well, time will tell. (laughs) You know, we we will know by the probably by the end of next week and how this is going to play out. But Ed, yeah, I hope I'm I hope I'm overreacting. I hope you are too. (laughs) But I don't think so. Okay, alrighty. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe Dick can redeem himself in your eyes. Uh, Ed, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Chris in Littleton, Colorado. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today? If the people lose their right to vote, we lose all of our rights. And if Republicans can pick and choose who can vote, they can pick and choose who wins elections. Well, and they've been doing that for for some considerable period of time, Chris, in states that have Republican controls. I mean, you know, Brian Kemp, the only reason he's the governor of of Georgia right now is because he threw a couple hundred thousand people off the voting rolls before he ran against Stacey Abrams. Yeah, and we all need to support H.R. 1 for the People Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and and we need to start campaigning for 2022 so we can vote these uh, wannabe dictators out of office while we still can. Yeah, Chuck Schumer says he's going to bring this January 6th commission to a vote before the entire Senate. At that point, the Republicans will filibuster it, and there's two big questions that come out of this. The first is, will 10 Republican senators join all the Democrats and say, yes, we want this, which seems unlikely. I'm guessing they'll get five or six. 
And then when it goes down in flames, the second question is, does Chuck Schumer at that point say, okay, let's have a vote on changing the Senate rules to eliminate the filibuster? And if he does say that, if this becomes that proverbial, you know, straw that broke the camel's back, this is the thing that pushes them over the top. If that's enough of an issue, if Schumer thinks, because he's going to have to, you know, this whole issue of the filibuster is going to require an issue to push it, right? And whether H.R. 1, probably not enough of an issue because it's not, you know, so obvious to everybody what it's all about. January 6th commission, everybody in America understands what that is. All the Republicans understand what that is. So this is the point where we're going to find out if Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are going to stand up for a filibuster or not. Or it may be. I, I, you know, we'll see if Schumer does this. I am hoping he does. I'm hoping he tries to change the Senate rules if he doesn't pass this filibuster. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom. Welcome back to the new studio. Thank you. The old studio. Just actually. wanted to. Yeah. After 14 months, it had seemed new uh, to me. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I just wanted to disagree with your comment the other day that Lincoln was the first serious presidential candidate of the Republican Party because my great-grandpap's late commander ran for president as the first Republican uh, candidate in 1856, John C. Fremont, yeah. and where Lincoln got 39.8% of the popular vote, Fremont got 33%, which is, by my computers reckoning 83 percent of the amount that uh, lincoln got and that's respectable three ways but yeah, yeah it's very respectable it's, so tell uh, me about john c fremont well he was uh, known as the pathfinder and in his time i think he might have been a lot more famous than lincoln was in his before the presidency that is mm-hmm. he did a lot of exploration in the west and published a lot of maps and guides Probably saved a great number of American settlers' lives by that expedient. Do you remember the Donner Party and how they got trapped in the uh, snows of the Sierra Nevada and mm-hmm. ended up uh, doing cannibalism and all that sort of thing? Right. One of the reasons that they were so late getting across was that they trusted one of these guides from somebody who had not actually been in the country. He was writing a guidebook. and Oh, my. Yeah, so... Uh, Fremont probably prevented a considerable number of additional deaths by giving people accurate maps. He was the commander of the West during the Civil War, the Union Army, and he is the first official I know of in the U.S. government to issue an actual emancipation proclamation two years ahead of Lincoln. That's what got him fired, by the way, because it was a little politically uh, premature on his part. Now, the he was not a perfect individual, but he certainly was a notable one, and he was very serious in his time. I think there are more things l- named for Fremont in California than uh, for Lincoln. Is that where the city's so, name came from? Big pardon? There is a city called Fremont, California. I mean, there was there's one in Michigan, too, Fremont, oh, Michigan. Were they named after him? I don't know about Michigan, but I'm sure the one, everything in California with his name was named after him because he of the amount he did to... Well, he uh, helped put the California into the uh, Union during uh, the Mexican-American War, mm-hmm. uh, supporting Polk's uh, adventure. Which, which so, Lincoln was strongly opposed to. Did Fremont and Lincoln get, get along? As far as I know, Lincoln was a congressman at the time, right. a representative. I don't know if they ever actually I think he was met a state, state representative or state senator, wasn't he? 
I didn't know he'd made uh, it to the U.S. Congress. Who, Lincoln? Yeah. Yeah, I, he was US, in the U.S. House of Representatives when he made okay. the speech announcing the Mexican War. Okay. Thank you. I, I, it's been too many years since, since I read Carl Sandburg's biography of him. And I'm not sure I actually carefully read that book. It might be more skimmed. Mike, thanks. Thanks for the information on John C. Fremont. That's fascinating. And, uh, you know, somebody who's uh, remotely connected to your family. Mike, thanks a lot. John in Sutter, Ossipee, New Hampshire. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? That's what make one point. I mean, all these points that you're making regarding the Republicans, I mean, they've been strategizing this whole entire war against the Democrats for decades. Sure. I mean, the, the last but not least is when hearts and minds, and it's obviously through the airwaves, just like Radio America used to do in foreign countries. But that's just one point. You know, the main point I wanted I want to bring up about the Senate, Chuck Schumer. This is a point where we miss Harry Reid. That's the only guy that McConnell actually feared and respected. I just don't think Schumer has what it takes to try to really get Manchin and Cinema on board to yeah. address the filibuster. We're going to find out in the next few weeks. I know. I know. I mean, I wish it would happen. I wish I had a confidence that it happened. I just don't. Yeah. I don't. Well, if, if Schumer cannot whip his caucus, if he can't figure out a way to bring, you know, two recalcitrant senators into line, if he can't offer them enough goodies or give them uh, severe enough threats, then he needs to be replaced by somebody who can. I'm not I sure agree. who that person is among the Democratic senators, but. I mean, the other thing I see is if Tim Ryan wins, you know, the Senate next year, mm-hmm. he'd, be, he'd be a great leader in the future. Yeah, he would. I know Tim Ryan. I had dinner with him a couple, uh, maybe two years ago in Los Angeles. Uh, we both spoke at a Marianne Williamson event. Uh, he's a meditator. The guy that has been practicing uh, transcendental meditation for years and years and years. And, we, and in fact, that was what the conference that we were speaking at was about, in part. But he's not the most progressive guy in the House of Representatives. He's been, um, he was a member of the kind of New Democrat coalition, but I think that he, like many Democrats, have figured out that the entire party is shifting in a more progressive direction because the country is shifting in a more progressive direction. And in part, that's because what COVID has done is proved that this idea, this progressive idea, this liberal idea that we are all in this together and that we are, that I am my brother's keeper, that we are responsible for each other, that we do need to hang together or, or, you know, to paraphrase Ben Franklin, we shall all hang separately. Those are real values. Those are real important things. And I suspect Tim Ryan is getting with the program. He's certainly talking like it. And I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I hope he has success. John, I got to move along, but thanks for the call. Mark in Perrysburg, Ohio. Mark, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I just wanted your opinion on the South Carolina and Kentucky elections. I still can't fathom how these two foul people won. And if it was somehow corrupt, how does that happen? Well, the way that it happened in Alabama, I think that uh, Don Siegelman was the governor of, yeah, he was the governor of Alabama. The way it happened in Alabama was the way that uh, Howard Dean showed when Tina Brown had her MSNBC program, Topic A with Tina Brown, she took a week off and invited Howard Dean to fill in for her. He brought in Bev Harris, and she brought in a Diebold, not the voting machine itself, but the tabulator, the computer that adds up all the votes from the various precincts. And the tabulator is just a simple computer, and the vote is shown on a simple spreadsheet. 
And so what Howard Dean did is he flipped an election in less than 90 seconds uh, on a tabulator. And this is what Don Siegelman is alleging to this day. He's got a new book out about it. It's really worth checking out. There's a new audiobook version of it. What Don Siegelman is saying happened in Alabama was that he won that election. He went to bed having been declared governor, reelected in 2002, I think it was. And overnight, in this one county, this one guy, this one Republican operative who was a good friend of Karl Rove's, who had the tabulator machine, discovered magically 15,000 votes for governor. No more votes for anybody down ticket, but 15,000 votes for governor, uh, you know, for, uh, for Bob Riley, for his opponent, for the Republican who was running. And when Don Siegelman started yelling about it, Rove, keep in mind that, you know, George W. Bush was president, Rove got the federal prosecutors to come in and throw his butt in jail for having nominated a guy to the board that oversaw hospitals for a job that wasn't, there was no pay associated with it, and the guy had been nominated for the exact same job by the previous governor who was a Republican. He'd held that job for two administrations. And all Siegelman did was renominate him, and they said, oh, that was a bribe. And he went to prison. And, you know, called our show from prison to, t- to talk about this. And then they, st- they put him in, c- in solitary confinement for a month because he had the audacity to talk about it on this program. But that's, that's how I think it happened in yeah, South sure. Carolina and Kentucky. Because those numbers, the numbers by which Lindsey Graham and in particular Mitch McConnell won those elections officially, do not comport with any polls, even remotely. And, uh, Mark, thank you for the call. I realize it's not fashionable right now to be talking about thinking that elections are skeezy, but I would like to see an audit of the election in those two, a real, you know, done by professionals, done by people in the state of those two elections. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 